Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to New Books in Hindu Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Today, I get to speak with uh, Sanjay Lal, who is Senior Lecturer of Philosophy at Clayton State University. We're talking about his uh, exciting new 2019 Lexington Books publication, Gandhi's Thought and Liberal Democracy. Hello, Sanjay, and welcome to the program. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, an interesting book on an interesting figure uh, who is still obviously captivating the imagination and 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 the interest of scholars and and thinkers of various sorts. So uh, the title of the book <laughs> is not a misnomer. It is about Gandhi's thought and liberal democracy. It's always useful when the title is not so poetic. You don't know what the book is about. Um, why don't you tell us? Um, tell us how you uh, tell us about the genesis of this. How how did this project come about? Uh, Sure. I was struck, like many of us were over the last few years, uh, about uh, the the events in, uh, you could say, Western democracies that that have kind of shaken people's faith uh, in in liberal democracy itself. Uh, And and I uh, thought in terms of my own previous research that this is one area in, in Gandhi's thought that hasn't really been so uh, so fully explored, and I thought that uh, given uh, what's happened in terms of um, uh, greatly unexpected election results, in terms of uh, polarization, and um, in terms of the uh, uh, social and economic inequalities we see around us, that that this is one area uh, in, in uh, Gandhi's thought that could show his relevance for today uh, in, in ways that kind of go beyond um, Gandhi the idealist or uh, Gandhi sort of being hopelessly naive or romantic as many many think. Uh, I, I think that uh, there's so much in Gandhi that, that speaks to us today and uh, in our present age uh, the uh, well-being of liberal democracy I think is uh, an area where where that's that's uh, quite clear and it hasn't hasn't really been noticed. So I, I try in this book to to flesh that out. Um, basically, I, I make the argument that uh, since Gandhi was was emphatic that for the liberal democratic project to be successful, uh, it has to consciously incorporate considerations of nonviolence. Uh, and since uh, these kinds of considerations entail religious considerations, um, his main challenge uh, for proponents of liberal democracy is to basically uh, reimagine the, the place that religion should have in public life. And uh, much of the book is sort of devoted to uh, developing that, that thesis. Great. Uh, so fascinating and probably a, a timely book. Um, so, uh... Let's start with uh, 
Maybe let's just focus on what you say in chapter one, Gandhi's thought. It may be review for most of our listeners, but maybe in a nutshell, what are the core ideas or precepts um, that Gandhi advances that we're going to try and integrate into uh, to, to the modern liberal state? Uh, sure. I think uh, when, when Gandhi says, uh, like in his autobiography and so many other places, that uh, his main uh, objective is realization of truth, uh, to me, that harmonizes with, with much of uh, the liberal tradition. Um, if, if you read uh, Mill's famous Defense of Liberty, uh, you, you find that so, so much of uh, what he argues is predicated on this understanding that uh, truth is something that is good for society, that, that when, when people are able to realize truth, then, then we all benefit. And, uh, basically, in that first chapter, I try and show uh, that Gandhi's conception of truth is much more, much more broader and you can say much more dynamic than uh, has been commonly supposed in uh, modern societies. Uh, truth is understood as reality itself and, and not as a uh, correspondence with reality. And for Gandhi, uh, realization of truth actually requires direct experience more than anything else and uh, that entails uh, nonviolence. Uh, so all of that connects with what I, I try and uh, uh, develop throughout the later chapters that in order to have a, a truly uh, liberal democratic society we need to basically develop the uh, nonviolent natures of uh, those who make up the society. Uh, for, for Gandhi, uh, so much really depends on uh, developing the individual's character and without, without doing work that develops individual character, uh, institutional uh, reforms and so forth really, really won't be of much value. And so um, one question that may arise in the minds of a listener and potential reader is, well, are we referring to truth and nonviolence and maybe even satya and ahimsa in a particularly Indian or Gandhian way? Or are we talking about something much more universalized or universalizable? And then maybe thirdly, did Gandhi, which of the two of these extremes did Gandhi, in your opinion, uh, intend these concepts? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's actually, in, in an odd way, sort of both in that uh, clearly uh, truth and nonviolence are uh, universal concepts for Gandhi, but uh, in that first chapter, I also talk about the important distinction Gandhi draws between relative and absolute truth, and our understandings uh, of uh, the, these uh, fundamental universal concepts uh, can can only come through the particular uh, cultural lenses we wear. And uh, I, I try and show that this is part of what makes Gandhi such a, a great uh, sort of cultural pluralist, which to me is also an integral part of the liberal tradition. Uh, he, he sees that really all the great uh, cultural traditions uh, have at their core a realization of truth and uh, they, they do emphasize in their own ways uh, nonviolence. Uh, it's just that they're, they're sort of geared toward uh, people who are uh, living in particular times and places and who are used to 
a uh, particular uh, set of presuppositions. Uh, so to sort of answer your question, I, I guess Gandhi would say that uh, uh, we're, we're using um, particular uh, tools to realize uh, or greater, more greatly realize universal truths. That would be how I would put it. What would, um, okay, let me ask this question first. Uh, truth and nonviolence, is this religion? Uh, well, I, I would say it, it's religion, but not uh, exclusively religion, in that uh, I, I try and also make the point that uh, one does not have to uh, identify or follow a particular religious tradition uh, to accept and adhere to uh, these concepts. But for Gandhi, most of us uh, do in fact uh, need uh, these ideas couched in, in religious terminology and religious language. Uh, I think if, if you uh, look around and hear so much of the discourse, for example, going on right now when uh, people, people um, talk about how uh, they might pray for a political opponent or, or their faith tells them that, that they should uh, look uh, after the least of these and so forth, that that, that indicates for, for Gandhi and that, that would indicate for uh, those who want to incorporate Gandhi's philosophy into the present world, uh, that religion for most of us perhaps is necessary to, to really fully uh, convey these profound ideas, but uh, it, it's not required for everyone, but because it is necessary, uh, it, it would be acceptable and, and also necessary for uh, government to more um, openly incorporate religious thought and religious understanding in, in, its, in its activities, in its policies and so forth. Before we go into talking about how one might do so, what would Gandhi's critique of the modern liberal state be, do you think? Uh, I would say that uh, he, his main critique and uh, in my, my second chapter, I try to make this point is that uh, the modern liberal democratic state ha has uh, failed in living up to its, its promises that uh, even though maybe it's come closer uh, to uh, realizing equality and even realizing a nonviolent uh, society than, than alternatives we see around us, it still ultimately failed. And the reason for that would be because there's been sort of a, a neglect, uh, not just of uh, incorporating uh, nonviolence openly into the society, but, but also of, of developing the individual characters of, of those who make up the society. Uh, I, I try and also show that uh, Another important area of agreement between Gandhi and uh, modern day liberals is the revered place of the individual. Uh, but, but for Gandhi, uh, the individual really needs sort of a moral foundation. He needs a, a developed character before uh, their liberty, before his or her liberty can, can, really, can really have great value. And how do we go about then um, facilitating this development of character within the individual? 
Uh, yeah, I, in my uh, fifth chapter, I, I try and uh, put forth proposals that, that are actually uh, workable for, for the present age. And uh, the two things I emphasize are uh, education, and, and Gandhi certainly uh, believed that, uh, say, religion, which he thought of as being equivalent to fundamental ethics, should be an integral part of um, state education, uh, and also uh, in, in the uh, state efforts to promote multiculturalism, uh, I argue that uh, religion should be should be included uh, in these these efforts. Uh, I uh, borrow some insight from uh, Joseph Raz, who's written quite a bit on uh, multiculturalism from a liberal perspective, and basically I, I try and supplement uh, Raz's proposals with the notion that um, religion should also be included within uh, attempts to promote multiculturalism, given that uh, religion is also an integral part of uh, our cultural identities, or at least for so many of us it is. So regarding this idea that religion, uh, that, that um, education um, should entail religious education, um, uh, in terms of you know even uh, uh, state-sanctioned religious education, uh, what does that look like? Does do, do do folks does everyone take world religions in in in, in grade school? Like what does that look like? Uh, yeah, so it would uh, include something like that, except uh, when people learn about uh, world religions, it wouldn't be uh, the way they they tend to learn about it in our educational institutions right now, where. Uh, it's like this is this is what uh, people in this tradition believe. This is what they believe. Uh, but it would be uh, more about sort of uh, encouraging a a mindset that that tries to understand these traditions from uh, the point of view of uh, their greatest adherence. So uh, I argue that for, for Gandhi, there there should be sort of an emphasis on the great moral exemplars of the great religious traditions. And uh, this I relate to some of the disagreements he had with Ambedkar, uh, whereas Ambedkar um, was of course very critical of, of Hinduism. Uh, Gandhi accepted that th there is this uh, side to Hinduism that Ambedkar was justified in criticizing, but at the same time, uh, he argued that there's um, a deeper side that, that uh, can be appealing to any conscience. And I, I try and emphasize that there, there's that side to all the great religious traditions. And that, that's, what, that's what should be uh, emphasized in our educational institutions. Uh, I, I basically, and this is maybe the most controversial part of the book, I uh, argue that there's nothing wrong with uh, the state promoting uh, religious understandings that themselves align with uh, core liberal values like inclusion and equality and so forth. That um, we all know that uh, there's the um, other kind of religion, uh, which Gandhi also decries, but there's no reason in, in thinking what uh, Gandhi calls the religion of the prison house uh, should be, should be what, what gets uh, promoted or what gets emphasized by the state. And in fact, when, when that kind of religion is, is excluded, 
I, I try and show that we're in a better place to develop the overall characters of, of individuals. I'm curious, Sanjay, uh, who, uh, how would this curriculum be established, right? Who would be the sort of competent judges, quote unquote? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's uh, something maybe I could uh, flesh out more in, in future works, uh, but uh, I, I discuss, for instance, uh, the, the famous uh, lemon test that ha has often been cited by liberals in uh, determining what the proper relationship between uh, church and state should be. And I argue that the problem uh, with that test is it's not so easy to uh, demarcate between uh, religious or spiritual objectives and, and political objectives. Uh, so I, I think if we had a different kind of test where uh, religious ideas can be taught in a way that's acceptable, reasonably acceptable to, to the adherence of these religions, okay, in a way that emphasizes uh, the uh, core values which uh, liberal society also reveres, uh, then, then we have a real, a real good starting point. Uh, in my epilogue, I, I uh, mention how in some places we do have sort of the beginnings of this kind of thing. There are some uh, curriculums uh, within America that, that try and emphasize uh, teaching religion in this way, even in the public schools. Uh, but it, it's something that I, I uh, could maybe spend more time uh, fleshing out, certainly, how these decisions would be made. Sure, I was just um, certainly recovering the content of your book, and I once in a while I tend to ask something that's of interest even beyond the scope of the book. It's it's kind of my favorite analogy is that we're sort of keeping it surface level. We're in the sailboat, but we get we get out the scuba gear every once in a while, take a deep dive, and then come back to the sailboat to to, to remain at the surface so we can breathe. <laughs> but but uh, um, uh, rights, you know, what does Gandhi? What would Gandhi say about rights? What do you say about what Gandhi would say about liberal rights? Yeah, so uh, my, my last uh, chapter focuses on that, and uh, Gandhi uh, famously uh, had been critical of the uh, famous UN Charter on Rights. Um, he, he talked about how instead of a uh, Declaration of Universal Rights, it would make more sense to talk in terms of uh, universal duties, and I, I think to answer your question in a nutshell, uh, for Gandhi, uh, we can't talk about rights as if uh, they exist in some kind of vacuum, that uh, if we don't develop the characters of individuals who are, who are the bearers of these rights in ways in which they can, they can exercise uh, th these rights in a, um, you could say, in a morally acceptable uh, way in a, in a more mature way then uh, rights become a, a kind of license. Uh, Gandhi in fact uh, addresses a question and I uh, cite this discussion in this last chapter about how uh, in his own time uh, so someone had complained about how his emphasis on the right of conscience was was, was leading to uh, so much uh, sort of mindless and seemingly frivolous rebellion 
among young people and, and uh, Gandhi is uh, sympathetic to this criticism and basically his resolution is that uh, to develop that particular right, the right of conscience requires, requires a great deal of uh, labor. It's not something that everyone just has. Uh, and this goes along with the, the emphasis on um, nonviolence in that uh, when, when we protest nonviolently, the uh, basis of our protest is, is something that, that violates one's, one's conscience. And when we, when we fully developed uh, the ability to exercise the right of conscience, uh, we'll be less likely to kind of frivolously just protest whatever comes along and uh, we can actually be more more effective in our practice of nonviolence in our protests. So uh, basically rights for Gandhi, they have to have this component of duties. And if, if, we, if we're constantly emphasizing rights in a way that's divorced from any discussion of duties, then uh, we're acting in a way that's very, very counterproductive. Yeah, it seems to me that um... Rights and duties are two sides of the same coin. For every right that someone has, it incurs a duty for others and vice versa. And it's much more complex than that, obviously. Um, very interesting. So it seems to me that the 30,000 foot view, uh, you're saying that um, really religion is indispensable to, to, to public life, uh, to, to, to the success of this modern liberal uh, democracy where there's this ongoing experiment and we're not sure if we're passing or failing depending on when we take the temperature, you know. Um, what about this idea of secularism? Uh, yeah, so there, there's also some discussion of how uh, Gandhi understood secularism in, in chapter four. Uh, basically, uh, there's a nice quote that the Gandhi scholar Margaret Chatterjee uh, uh, has where for, for Gandhi, the secularist function of religion is not so much to separate uh, religion from the public sphere, but, but it should be to sort of activate uh, this um, that when it's free of uh, doctrinal barriers, uh, actually works toward social justice and works toward uh, basically uh, advancing uh, liberal objectives. Uh, for Gandhi, uh, th that is at the heart of, of true religion. And the secularists should sort of think in terms of uh, activating that spirit within religion, uh, as opposed to trying to kind of keep uh, religion separate from, from the rest of society. Uh, I, I, I also point out that in Gandhi's time and place, there was this understanding of um, secularism that saw uh, the state to legitimately uh, promote, you could say, or uh, allow for public uh, practice of all religions uh, as opposed to uh, being religiously uh, free or religiously neutral. Uh, the, the idea is uh, the state should try and sort of accommodate and even promote uh, 
all the great religions in a pluralistic way, as opposed to, as opposed to just trying to uh, uh, stay, steer clear of religion altogether. Uh, so, in regard to secularism, those are the things that have come up when, when I think of Gandhi's position. Regarding this, this um, sort of syncretic or, or pluralistic or even universalistic view of secularism or vision of the modern state, um, uh, how do I phrase this? Um, is, it not, uh, is it not fairly compatible with more of a Hindu worldview than, say, a Muslim worldview or, or a Christian worldview? Or, or what do we do about religious traditions or what do we do in face of um, a specific brand of religiosity that to, by its very nature may not be um, fundamentally pluralistic in its outlook? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. And of course, uh, as we know in the present age, there are uh, forms of Hinduism that, that are not very pluralistic. Uh, I, I think, uh, again, the, the uh, maybe more controversial uh, suggestion of the book is that it's okay to kind of exclude those, um, those perspectives. I mean, just as, uh, I mean, the state is, um, taking steps or has taken steps in the past to uh, try and uh, de-radicalize uh, uh, certain uh, members of religious communities and that, that's uh, considered acceptable. Uh, I, I argue that in, in all the uh, great religious traditions though, you can find uh, that, that kind of uh, core that Gandhi talks about where, where there's inclusion and uh, that there is emphasis on nonviolence, and uh, for, for Gandhi, in fact, th these are uh, some of the things that, that are essential to, to religion. And uh, I argue that having some uh, sort of criteria for what does and doesn't count as genuine religion is actually, is actually uh, acceptable for the state, uh, whether we realize it or not, uh, these kinds of criteria already in place when, when certain uh, decisions are made about uh, what religious freedoms allow or don't allow and so forth. Uh, so so I, I basically argue that there's nothing wrong with being more open about it. And if we're, if we're more op open about it, then, then we can find that uh, the more narrow exclusivist traditions can be uh, left out of state policy. That doesn't mean that, that people won't be free to to follow those those paths, but let, it would just mean that they, they shouldn't be uh, promoted, that they shouldn't have sort of the state seal of approval. That's a very interesting suggestion, perhaps controversial as you as you as you as you, as you call it. And uh, this podcast is generally non controversial space, uh, <laughs> but but it is a fascinating idea. Um, uh, so I sort of think in of really broad strokes, perhaps crude to some, perhaps insightful, who knows. But I really think of, you know, of religion as sort of the, 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 the love child or the, <laughs> the hybrid of the, the socio-political and, and the psycho-spiritual. And um, it seems to me that much of modernity is um, reeling over throwing out the, the psycho-spiritual baby with the socio-political bathwater of religion. And I think we need to find a way to 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 reclaim uh, to reclaim something of um, 
moral precepts, you know, of, of personal growth. Clearly self-help isn't working. If it was working, then people who would be getting help and it wouldn't be a growing industry. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I really think uh, part of Gandhi's uh, uniqueness, and you can even say his genius lies in how he, he uh, refused to sort of separate the different components of life uh, into, into their, their categories. Uh, he, he sort of thought uh, everything uh, should be pursued in a much more inter integrated way, in a holistic fashion. And I think that's certainly the case when it comes to uh, the issue of religion and politics. You don't really see Gandhi is an idealist, ultimately, do you? Or do you see him as an uh, oscillating between an idealist and a pragmatist? You seem to have a very a different vision of Gandhi than most do. Could you comment on that? Uh, sure, yeah. I, I would say uh, for, for Gandhi, uh, ideals are uh, definitely important and we shouldn't lose sight of them. But uh, ultimately, they're, they're guides more than anything else. And we should think in terms of uh, how close we can get to uh, realizing ideals. I think uh, it's part of his uh, philosophical understanding that as embodied human beings, we can never in this life fully realize uh, ideals, even, even nonviolence, but uh, we, can, we can work toward uh, more, more closely uh, reaching these ideals. And uh, basically, I think that's, that's what he, uh, he emphasized. Of course, he, he came, I would say, much further in reaching these ideals than, than most of us uh, are, are probably uh, able to. But uh, for me, that, that indicates uh, all the more the, the value of his, his thought and his teachings that, that, that they can serve as sort of a, a guide for us by which we can better measure our own progress. What um, chapter of the book did you most enjoy or you most uh, perhaps proud of or what's, I'm sure you can't pick between your children, you know, you love them all, <laughs> I'm sure. But you know, which one might you get on with the most of these children, which chapter? Uh, well, I, I think in my uh, fourth chapter, when I uh, talk about how Gandhi's thought is uh, both compatible with and conducive to uh, liberal uh, thought or liberalism, I uh, get into things that uh, really, I think, get to the heart of what I'm trying to say. And I get into those things uh, in the most, most clearest way, perhaps. Uh, in the book, I relate uh, Gandhi's uh, thought, for instance, to uh, the points that Martin Luther King makes in uh, his famous letter from Birmingham jail. And it's notable that when, when King talks about why segregation is morally unacceptable in that letter, uh, he, he talks in terms of separation from God, which is of course uh, a religious concept, but it, it's also very much in line with uh, uh, what I take to be Gandhi's Vedic understanding uh, that there's this, this ultimate oneness and that whatever separates us from the oneness uh, is bad. Uh, you know, it's in that chapter where, where I, I also try and uh, alleviate uh, some of the standard concerns liberals have had with uh, mixing religion and politics. Uh, I, I try and address uh, concerns about uh, uh, exclusion and concerns about uh, conflicts that will supposedly arise and so forth. 
Over the course of this research, um, were you surprised at any of the findings or any of your thought processes, or were you essentially uh, um, um, evidencing and confirming what you already suspected to be the case? Uh, yeah, there were some things I, I found which, uh, you know, believe it or not, actually uh, sort of made me uh, perhaps less uh, uh, deferential at times to Gandhi. Uh, in my last chapter, when I talk about rights and I get into his, um, his opposition uh, to advocating birth control, uh, you know, even though I, I argue that, that we can understand his opposition to be compatible with, uh, with liberalism. Uh, some of his um, some of his arguments uh, they 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 do uh, become difficult uh, to swallow at times. Uh, you know, again, maybe in in those places we can perhaps see more of that that idealist uh, Gandhi perhaps come out to too great of an extent. Uh, also, I was a bit. Uh, surprise that it seems that within uh, the entire corpus of Gandhi's writings, there, there's not clearly a place for a, a federal system of government. He has so much emphasis on uh, local control, local communities, decentralization, and so forth, that, that it, it's really hard to find uh, what for him would be uh, the acceptable place for for the federal level of government. Uh, so that, that kind of surprised me that there's kind of a dearth of, of insight there. Regarding um, places where, uh, as you say, we may find Gandhi's position hard to swallow, uh, is that because he's fallible or is that because we can't quite relate to this ideal that is Gandhi? Uh, yeah, I would say it would be more more the latter. Um, and you know, when he talks about how uh, most people uh, would not be able to really practice uh, th these kinds of uh, uh, aesthetic uh, practices that he engaged in, he says things about how. Uh, he, he's got the patience of a million years. And uh, if, if he can change one person in a million years, then uh, that, that's all right with him, basically. And uh, again, when you, when you think about the situation the world is in, it is, it is uh, kind of difficult to think we have sort of the luxury of, of waiting for a million years. Uh, so I would say it's more uh, the latter. Uh, sometimes perhaps Gandhi, uh, maybe had uh, not enough of a patience for uh, the, you could say, imperfections of uh, those of us who are, who are more mortal. Would you, would you say there are places in which he may be uh, mistaken or misguided, or does he have blind spots in your view? Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, um, I think perhaps uh, his attitude uh, toward uh, birth control as an indication of that. Uh, I mean, they're, they're part of his, his overall uh, attitude towards uh, towards human sexuality, and uh, much has been written uh, on that topic. And I think I think it, it's clear that uh, Gandhi was was maybe uh, overly negative 
uh, about that aspect of um, human existence and in a way that, that seems to perhaps uh, go against uh, that integrated uh, approach, that holistic approach to life that uh, I, I mentioned Gandhi uh, was so, so brilliant at advancing. Uh, and I think, I, go ahead. Ironically, perhaps his attitudes were influenced by the same process of uh, colonization that he, he strove so hard to overthrow. It's, it's complex, isn't it? Oh, yes. Um, yes. Um, fascinating. So fascinating. I'd like to, um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about teaching and, and, and your current students, if you don't mind. But before I do, is there anything else about the book that you hope we touch on, you wanted to touch on? Uh, well, um, I, I think uh, we, we've, we've covered all, all the major points. Um, you know, I, I would just like to just uh, also go back to the point about uh, decentralization. And I uh, have in my uh, third chapter a discussion where I try and sort of uh, tie decentralization to nonviolence, uh, to character development, to the promotion of religious understandings. And, I try and show that that all of that is is interrelated. So uh, in the present age, uh, we, we might hear uh, so much uh, criticism, say, of, of uh, centralized institutions, of big government, of uh, loaded militaries, and so forth. But I try and show that uh, Gandhi's insight regarding all this uh, what what was unique, and uh, again, it's all it's all interconnected to uh, Nonviolence and developing the individual, and so forth. Uh, but mm. uh, yeah, we, we can talk about uh, teaching. What do you currently? Um, what courses, if I may ask, do you currently teach, or at what level? Uh, well, I, I do teach a uh, Eastern philosophy course. I'll be doing uh, that at, at upper division and uh, graduate level uh, again in the next semester. Uh, I, I have uh, taught an online course on Gandhian philosophy, but uh, this was before I got to work on this book. Um, but in my uh, Eastern philosophy course, I, I uh, devote a, a good week to Gandhi and uh, basically uh, emphasize his seminal work, Kim Swaraj, which is still uh, so, so relevant to the present age. Uh, I found uh, students in the present age, uh, they, they, they seem to uh, really connect with, with so many of the, the key, key ideas in that work. I'm glad you said the last thing that you said because it preempted my next question, which was, you know, have you shared some of these ideas with, this, with your students and do they resonate? And, you know, as my listeners know, I really have no agenda, I'm here to take interest in your work and showcase its features for an interested public and perhaps our colleagues who are continuing studies crowd or whatnot. But um, the reason I'm taking this, this more overt turn to teaching is that um, so many of the ideas we talk about resonates with uh, what I'm experiencing now. Um, I'm currently teaching undergraduates at the University of Calgary. I'm based in Toronto, but I'm teaching them online which itself is a function of our times, yeah? yeah. <laughs> behold, behold the, the unwitting blessings of coronavirus. <laughs> but, um, you know, 
it's it's a real real joy to have a body of students who are just interested to learn about religion it's obvious that they're interested to learn uh, about different cultures um you know their calgary which is a relatively diverse city predominant christian background obviously and what intrigues me is um they have they're really really thirsty they're, they're they they really obviously their <laughs> dog was not for them and 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 this is the the path uh, they really really fascinated by um spiritual ethical ideas from these traditions and and um i think so much of the premise of your book uh resonates with the the, the attitude of this coronavirus generation right they the they're, they're their their vision of the world, their vision of the problems of the world, their vision of coming together, their their um, their their love hate relationship with religion. They uh, uh, more than half of them identify as spiritual, not religious, <laughs> which means they're leaving this space to sort of sample the 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 buffet, the global buffet of of ideas. And so that's where I'm sort of driving at this this strikes me as this sort of thinking maybe of interest to a number of students that you're teaching. And that's why I ask. Uh, yeah, I, I've noticed that among uh, my students as well. And uh, in the book, I do talk about how uh, religion's sort of uh, falling of, of uh, favor in the present age, I think is largely uh, due to religious communities uh, sort of being uh, anti-liberal uh, uh, democracy and uh, uh, the tendency of, of religious communities to be so exclus exclusive and, uh, or put it another way, non-inclusive, which, which turns off so many people in, in the present age. Uh, I, I think the kind of uh, understanding of religion that Gandhi puts forth would actually be uh, sort of conducive to uh, religions themselves, uh, not just being more uh, democratic, but uh, also uh, having having more uh, wider acceptance, more, more following. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, I do have one more question I think I will ask. Um, right. I was, was going to ask you after we were formally concluded, but I'll ask you now. You know, this... this uh, this idea that um, the success of the state really depends on the success of the individual and getting them sorting themselves out on some level first. Right? Would you agree with that overall idea? Uh, yes, yes. Um, what would you say to the idea that, you know what, the vast majority of people aren't either able or willing to sufficiently sort them out, themselves out to produce a functional state? What would you say to that notion? Uh, well, I would say uh, that notion is uh, uh, disconcerting. Uh, and I think there's no reason uh, to necessarily accept that uh, right away, that uh, we should first perhaps try and uh, do more to develop uh, the individual. And uh, maybe, maybe after uh, we've Taken great steps in doing that, we, we can make we can make that kind of judgment 
but but I, I think uh, you know th there's a lot of um, sort of micro evidence, so to speak, of, of people uh, in the present age, in fact, who who are uh, taking this sort of uh, uh, proactive approach to uh, developing themselves and, and by doing so, uh, reforming society. Uh, so so I, I would just say that uh, I, I try to be more hopeful than that. More optimistic. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone may say a more, um, um, what's the word, um, idealistic, but I, I think optimistic is fair. And I think people are capable of extraordinary uh, growth and change and development, which requires extraordinary effort and requires also a conducive environment. Um, and it may well be that people are not being set up for success by society to engage in that process in a meaningful way. And so they need to find a path to sort themselves out. Um, yeah. What are you working on now? What's the next major project? Uh, well, I'm actually uh, trying to uh, hash out more of uh, the compatibility that I see with uh, uh, Gandhi's uh, thought and, and uh, stoicism. Uh, basically, I, I think that um, so much of these central stoic ideas go, go hand in hand with uh, Gandhian nonviolence. And there, there's a uh, criticism that, that uh, Martha Nussbaum and others have made against uh, stoicism that it tends to devalue uh, things that we should, uh, as humans, value. Uh, Stoicism, of course, says that uh, we, we should only focus on what's within our will and external things uh, really, shouldn't, really shouldn't matter to us. But of course, uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, valuing uh, uh, health or, or some degree of wealth and so forth. And, uh, I see that kind of tension also in, in Gandhi, and I, I try and I try and kind of uh, find resolutions uh, that that can work for both Gandhian thought as well as for Stoicism uh, in, in regard to this this criticism. Um, you know, it, it's it's more uh, challenging than I thought it would be, but I think I think there is very much uh, much that can be said from a, a Stoic as well as a Gandhian perspective about valuing, valuing external things. Uh, in other words, you can, you can kind of be detached in the way they call or without uh, being completely indifferent toward the world. More or less what Krishna is counseling in the Gita. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> this idea of Nishkam Karma Yoga. Yeah. Be a... <laughs> Be a sage with your heart and mind and a general with your hands and feet and we're good to go. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Much easier said than done, but yes. worth striving for perhaps. Um, great. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Well, thank about you. About your work. You're most welcome. For those of you out there listening, we've been speaking with Sanjay Lal on his uh, 2019 Lexington publication, Gandhi's Thought in Liberal Democracy. Uh, I'm... Dr. Raj Balkaran, rajbalkaran.com. You can study with me online. You can send me uh, notes about uh, the podcast and what you might like featured on the podcast. Uh, I, welcome, I welcome communication. 
Um, until next time, keep uh, <laughs> stay safe, first and foremost. Stay safe so that you can keep reading, keep listening, and keep contemplating uh, the role of religion in the modern Western world. Take care.